Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Grass withers and the flower fades and the word of our God stands forever. So this is our final week in our Advent series going through these four titles given to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9. And we've looked a little more deeply at the titles of Wonderful Counselor, what that means that he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, what it means he's going to be called the Mighty God. Last week we did some Trinitarian doctrine and what it means that he's going to be called Everlasting Father. That was one of my favorites to go through. Got to just kind of dump a lot of Trinitarian doctrine on us. And this morning we are looking at this last title in this brief list of the Prince of Peace. And this is maybe one of the most popular titles at Christmas time, this theme we see at Christmas of one of peace. And there's good reason that Prince of Peace is a, is a popular theme Peace being a popular theme uh, with the Christmas season. We read the, the Luke narrative this morning, right? And the angel shows up to the shepherd and tells him about where Jesus is going to be found. And then after relaying this information to the shepherds, what happens? The heavens are opened up and the, the heavenly host cries out glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men of goodwill or on whom God is pleased. And this is this, this peace is a very prominent uh, biblical theme throughout this narrative. And it's also a, a, a huge narrative throughout all of Scripture. This idea of the, the human search for peace is, is everywhere. You can go through your Bible and there's this constant theme of peace. And likely the reason I think that's a, it's a very kind of obvious reason why the Bible speaks so much about peace is it's such a common human experience in this search for peace. It's a very common quest trying to find some sort of peace. We often think if only it's maybe the Christmas season, if only I could get some peace and quiet. Right? If only I could have some peace. Could I just please get some peace and quiet? We go to these family uh, raucous celebrations and sometimes we leave and we just want to go home and have a moment of peace. Right? But there's, there is, I'm being kind of uh, ridiculous there, but there really is this, this internal real search for peace. Wanting to feel settled, wanting to feel okay, wanting to feel secure. That is no, I don't have to convince, I don't think any of us, of the reality of this search and of this desire, this, this deep desire within all of humanity in this search for peace. We feel that desire with really every part of who we are. And even those in the most turmoil and in the most distress 
are behaving and exactly those who are amping themselves up. You think that we look at some individuals and, and they're heightened. They almost intentionally heighten their anxiety and work and work and work and work. Really, a lot of that is, is proof they're just trying to get to a place of peace. We often think, if I can just work hard enough at, at this front end, then I can get to a place of peace. That even much of our energy and anxiety and, and work and high-pressure moments, there is still this underlying, I'm just trying to get to a place of peace. And sadly, we never really seem to arrive there. We work and work and work and work, hoping for peace, and never really get to peace any place of peace. And so Christmas is the season. One of the Messiah, titles of the Messiah is that he's going to be this prince of peace. Well, how do we get there? Well, what do we save and what is peace? And we must establish what kind of peace it is that we are talking about. And this term, I've said it's all through the Bible, is this Hebrew word shalom. You've probably heard it if you've been in church much of your life. But we'll talk about shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And it's, it's, a, it's a very detailed word in, in what it means. It's this, Erdman defines it this way. It says that shalom is a state of wholeness or well-being, a state of security, embracing both the physical and spiritual dimensions and relating not only to the individual, but also to entire communities and relationships among persons. Shalom has this very broad realization of just wholeness, uh, security, well-being for the individual, for communities, and for relationships between individuals in this community. There's this idea, this holistic idea of peace. It's a reality of wholeness, rightness, security. And so Jesus is going to be titled this Prince of Peace. Now, we can think of peace in at least these three different areas. The first is we can think of having the peace of God. And normally, when we talk about peace, if any, the, the society is talking about Christmas being a season of peace, and we're all after peace, what we're really talking about, or they're really talking about, is a peace of God. The, the peace, P-E-A-C, not getting a peace of God, but having peace, the peace of God, meaning there's this intrinsic, I feel at peace. And what a lot of the, the search is after is just for some sort of internal peace. Whether that's even a, a Christian peace, they're just after a peace of the, the peace of God, having some sort of intrinsic sense of feeling at peace. I mean, I don't, you sit down with, with any, any range of an individual and they are looking for this internal peace. You can think of it as this internal peace of God. Secondly, you can think of it as having peace with God. Objective, something that's outside of yourself. It isn't necessarily just something you feel internally, but as an objective reality, having the peace, having peace with God. So we have the peace of God, we have peace with God. And then the third way I want us to think about this is having hope in the future peace in God. The peace of God, peace with God, and peace, future peace in God. These are three ways this morning I want us to think about how Jesus is this Prince of Peace. First and foremost, what do we mean by the peace of God? Having this internal peace. This is the mission that so many are on. We want to feel at peace. We want to be able to just exhale 
and be at home and feel at peace. We desire this inward, I'm calling it subjective because really you're the only one who knows if you have it or not. It's, it's internal, this subjective personal peace at the core of our being. We want to feel at peace and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> to want to feel at peace is absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel. It's a good thing to desire peace. And it's also a good thing to recognize when you don't feel peace. It's a good, I mean, and I don't say, I'm, I'm not glad you don't feel at peace when you don't feel at peace, but I'm saying it's a healthy thing to recognize there's something going on in me that I don't feel peace, that I don't have this internal peace. It is, in a, in a, in a very interesting way, a grace and a mercy to recognize I'm not at peace, something's going on, I, I don't have this subjective peace. It's good to desire it, it's good to notice when we don't have it because God is doing something with this internal peace. Now there are, the issue comes from how we seek to develop or gain that internal peace. And there are many practices today, right, that will attempt to achieve that for you. There are many advisors you can get out there who will try to minister to you and tell you how you're going to achieve this internal peace. Self-help books will give you many chapters and many different tips and techniques on how to have peace. But many of those remedies are only offering uh, to work, and they only work by either obscuring reality, uh, so they'll, they'll, they'll try to get you to, to not see life as it is, they'll hide what's really going on, or giving some sort of a distraction or an anesthetic so that you, you just kind of lose sight, you, you're just kind of numb to, to, to everything. Either just obscure, ob, obscuring reality or some sort of distraction. I, I was trying to, th have you ever been on a theme ride? I assume you've all been around and gone to a theme park at some point and ridden on a theme ride. Well, I, I like to go to theme parks, but one of my, one of my favorite rides uh, is Star Tours down at Disney World. And because it's such, a, it's such an interesting ride, you're not on a roller coaster, you don't go anywhere, but you feel like you're flying across the galaxy. And it does this by, they, they put you in this little shipping crate, basically, that's got hydraulics on all the corners, and they put a movie screen at the front. And so you sit down and you strap in because while they play this movie, they're going to tip that box down and sideways and roll it around. And it feels like you're flying through space, but, you, but you're really not going anywhere, right? But it, but it feels like it. And as a kid, I mean, you can be really freaked out by these rides because you, you kind of, you've lost, you've lost reality and you think you're flying through space, this giant crate, it lifts up. And you're, when you're a kid, you can be truly terrified by it. And there are a few ways you, you might, sometimes you get on the ride and, and there's the parent who has put, brought their kid along maybe before they were ready. And they don't realize it till the chicken exit's no longer available. The ride has started and the kid's freaking out, right? And so what, and I, I I feel bad because I'm, I'm getting to that point where Joel, like, we're going to Disney World, like, in May, and he really wants to ride these really <laughs> crazy rides, and I'm not sure he's ready for them, but we're going to give it a shot. But <laughs> because it's always interesting to hear the parent, well, how they're, how they're attempting to minister to their kid in that moment. And, and one of the first things is this, is distraction. They'll say something, oh, look at that, uh, 
Isn't that a neat spaceship? On look how isn't that look how big that is? Isn't that impressive? Look at the stars. And then all of a sudden, you know, the 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 big missile comes through and the thing blows up, you know, and they and they get tipped and get blown away. And they're trying, but they'll they'll try to distract the kid. You know, they'll try to they'll just try to look somewhere else or think about something else or they'll they'll say you're okay or, or they'll just become a mantra over you're okay it's okay it's okay don't think about it and they'll they'll just try to if you have enough positive confession it's okay nothing's going on we're all right I'm right here I'm right here and the kids freaking out the whole time or or else they'll go to the um, you know. Uh, we'll go buy an ice cream when this gets done. It's okay. This will soon be over, and then we're going to go get an ice cream. Pretty soon this will all be over. It's just a ride, and then we'll go get an ice cream. And they try all these different, these different methods, some sort of, of obfuscation or, or hiding what they're really seeing or, or some sort of medicating them. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. You know, over and over and over again. It's... And then the, the, everything goes wrong and they just go back to, they just go back and forth between these different methods at trying to find peace when the kid's like, there is no reason to have peace in this moment. Do you see what's going on? For some of my friends, the, the only antidote they have when they feel bad about themselves, when they are lacking this internal peace is, is just exactly the same thing. When they feel bad about themselves or something they've done, they just boldly claim, you know what, no, I am okay. Uh, they've made some huge mistake in life or, or something's going wrong or, or circumstances aren't going the way they want them to. The, the remedy they will have is just by trying to turn an eye to, to how bad life is going and just begin to say, I'm okay, everything's okay, You've, I've got this, no worries, everything's fine. And they're attempting to, that, they're the parent in that ride Forget what's really going. Forget what's going on. Forget how you can diagnose the things that are going on. Forget the re, this reality, this terrifying reality, and just 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 ignore it. Distract it. Or look somewhere else. Obfuscation. Just boldly claim that they're okay, as if just confessing something makes it true. And there's a there is a, a flimsy and false peace that can be fabricated by such a thing. You're out walking. Just I, I'm okay. I'm okay. Life is, is, is a wreck and things are, I have no peace around me. But if I just tell myself enough, maybe it will become true. But it may work for a moment, but there is never any lasting or true peace to that sort of subjective convincing yourself internally that you have peace. But the other one is just that the other method that we employ in our modern context is just distraction. So everything's falling around. What am I going to do? I'm going to start looking at all these other things. I'm going to engage myself with distraction. I'm just going to look at other things that are going on. And that's really, I don't need to build much of a case. I think if you look around, the world is full of people just working hard to distract themselves. If I can just get busy with enough things, if I can just involve myself in enough other, other things, if I can just go and do something else, then, then I'll forget about what's really going on in my life. And we, we seek peace just through distraction. If I can turn up the music loud enough or if I can binge watch enough TV shows or if I can just go out and go, go do some activity, then I won't realize what's going on. I'll, maybe I'll forget about the lack of peace in my life. But the reality is, the, there is, 
those are, are failing. They, they, they do not hold up in the end. But there are truths that can ground a person in the midst of these terrifying rides. There are truths because eventually you do become an adult. You do begin to realize a few realities larger than the ride that you're on that ground you so that you can, I can ride star tours now and I don't freak out like I did when I was in grade school because I am aware of a few bigger realities. I am aware of a few bigger realities. And, and, and so then a felt peace does exist in the midst of this turmoil because it is grounded upon larger realities. There is a felt peace that can exist because it is a felt peace that is grounded upon a larger peace than just subjective internal peace. If your internal peace only rides upon your ability to fabricate it, to work it up, to convince yourself that it, that it is there, it is a very fragile peace. Because in the moment that the diagnosis comes, the moment that the, the bank account dries up, the moment that the, the relationship breaks down, the moment that something goes wrong, that internal peace evaporates. And how do you get that back unless you just go with distraction or, or uh, obfuscation, not looking at reality? The way you get it back is by having an internal peace that is grounded on something bigger and larger outside of yourself that gives grounding for that internal peace. So what are those the realities? The greatest, the, sec, the greatest need we have as fallen humanity is not the internal peace of God. We think it is because it feels very strong. We desire it very much. We all have a universal desire to feel internal peace. But that is not your greatest need. The greatest need for humanity is not internal, the internal peace of God. It is the, a real objective peace with God. Peace with God. That there would be no longer a war between you and God, but that there could be actual real peace between you and, your, and the Creator. The reason why there is this universal desire for peace is because there is this known reality within all of fallen humanity that we really aren't at peace with our Creator. That there is something wrong. There is something breaking down. There is, there are, things are not good. As Ephesians 2 says plainly, each one of us is born a child of wrath. We are born not under, we are born under justice. We are born into sin. We are born as sinners into the world. We come out of our mother's womb as a sinner and, and at, at war with God. We, we come out bent upon ourselves, seeking our own glory, seeking our own, uh, our own benefit, seeking our own good, and not directed towards God. And as a result of our natural state, this enmity Bible speaks about, this enmity that we have towards God, this rejection, this rebellion against Him, as a state, as a, as a, as a reality, our natural state, this enmity towards God and a rebellion against Him without even thinking about it, we are not at peace with God. We have engaged him in war. We want him off the throne. We want to rule. We, want, we do not pray naturally. Your will be done, not mine. Our prayer pretty much on our own, apart from God, is God do my will. May my will be done, not yours. 
And that is rebellion. And because of that, there is, there is justice. There is war. There is not peace. So long as this is the truth about us, there is no real peace between us and God. And because there is no peace in our natural state between us and God, there can be no real hope for lasting internal peace. Because we've lost that grounding of the one who has made you, the one who has made the universe, the one who holds it all together, you are not in good with because of sin. There is wrath and judgment coming upon you as a result of sin. And so if, if that, uh, that huge, if, there, if that element of peace is gone between you and your creator, how could there ever be any hope that this internal peace would ever hold up? So long as that is the only truth about you, there is no real hope for any internal peace because objectively there is no peace between you and the creator of the universe. And no objective peace makes true and lasting felt peace an impossibility. But this is why the title of Prince of Peace is such good news. Because it isn't just he's the Prince of Peace and that he's going to give you some, some uh, light, subjective sense of peace occasionally. What Christ comes to do is to secure this objective peace with God for you. A real, solid, outside of yourself peace that you can plant your life upon. That is what Christ has come to do. Mankind can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus, what we celebrate as Christmas, is God getting down to the business of establishing peace with his people. Christ is born, lives the righteous life we should have lived, dies the death that we deserve, the judgment, this wrath that we have coming toward us, Christ takes upon the cross, goes into the ground, resurrects three days later, showing his victory over death and sin so that every one of us, repenting of our sins, seeing it as sin, turning from it, and trusting in this work of Christ, we can now have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says it just as plain Paul in his doctrine of justification. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, past tense, speaking to Christians, those who by faith trusted in this work of Christ, have since then we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not this flighty internal peace. That, that is something that happens as a result. But Paul is talking about something not subjective and internal, but objective outside of you and real. And it is peace with God through Jesus Christ, through his work. We can look also at 2 Corinthians 5. Beautiful passage on reconciliation. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That means at one point, the world is not reconciled to God. But in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul describes it as this reconciling work of Christ between God and his world. 
So many times, so much energy is spent on working to achieve some sort of internal peace, totally apart from this grounding reality. The peace that comes internally grounded upon the reality of the peace that I have objectively with God through Jesus Christ, securing me into his family, making me one of his own, securing all of God's promises to me. Having this peace with God is one of these building blocks that when you're on the ride and things are going wrong around you, you can remember the creator doesn't have it in for me. The creator is on my side. It may look like I'm, the galaxy is exploding and it's tipping off the end. It may look like everything is going wrong, but I know the one in charge of this all is for me. I have peace with him. Through Jesus, not through my own merits, not through my own work, but through Jesus Christ, I have peace with him. And so even though the world is breaking down around me and I don't have a great sense of internal peace because of it, I can rest myself upon the peace I have with God objectively, not because of I feel it, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and for my salvation. And then knowing that, you return back to the ride and there, there all of a sudden, you can sense an internal peace. It's the strangest thing to walk through horrific experiences in your life and and, and see the people around you totally thrown off by what's going on and, and, and just having the grace of God hit you with, with a peace that is, that is not uh, explainable. You know, when, you, when, when Darla is diagnosed with, with her stage three cancer, you know, you're just, there's, that, that, there's no hope for me to say, this is okay. Don't worry about it. Just, for, just, uh, just, uh, just ignore it or distract myself. No, this is objectively, I have no felt peace by the circumstances that there are. But this peace with God that I have through Jesus Christ, that can't be stolen by cancer. That can't be stolen by lost relationships. It can't be stolen by death. It can't be stolen by any of these things in this life. This is a peace with God that we have no matter what. And because if you can ground yourself on that peace with God, then in the midst of life, it does bring you this odd, gracious, Holy Spirit, internal peace that you can't explain because of the grounding on this peace with God. It doesn't end there. We could go much more. We don't have time this morning. But this... This whole passage in Isaiah. So we're talking about internal peace, but there's also peace with God. There also is future peace in God. And Isaiah 9 really is about this reality. Like we love to quote it at Christmas, and it's a it's a nice, it's 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 pretty, it reads well. But Isaiah is talking about a real kingdom and a real future. That, that Christ is going to come and the government's going to be upon his shoulder, and we're like, okay, that's talking about some supernatural, yeah, some spiritual. No. What Isaiah is clear about, that this Messiah is going to rule on the earth. You can go and, and take these passages home. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, the first four verses. Isaiah chapter 11 is this, these passages that give us this picture of a future and real reign of universal peace. That this peace with God that we then ground ourselves upon to feel some sort of internal peace, that is not the end of the road. 
The end of the road is that, and the reason why we celebrate Advent is this recognition that as they longed for Jesus in his first incarnation, we still long for Jesus in his final appearing. That the day is coming when the Prince of Peace will not give us peace because we have it objectively, peace with God through faith in Christ, or internally grounded upon that. But we will have his peace because we who have placed our faith in him will live on a new heavens and a new earth with Christ as king. The king of peace will rule there and sin and sorrow and suffering and tears will be gone. And so we know how this is all going to end up. So if you're on the Star Tours ride, do you remember people made this and they don't want me to die on this ride because they made it and they want people to keep coming back. So I know that they have good for me and I know that eventually I do walk off this ride and I go back out into the theme park, whatever, I mean, the analogy breaks down a little bit there. But you, you understand that eschatologically, the fancy word for the end of it all is peace with God and peace in God. What makes the thrill ride not scary but enjoyable for the rider is knowing that the designer of the ride has no ill will toward them and that the ride will end and their joy will go on. To not know or to forget these realities is to plunge yourself back into despair and unrest. And in order for there to be true, real peace, these must be the ground that you build your peace upon. We spend, when, when so much of our energy is spent in attempting to achieve the peace of God, separate from any grounding in the peace we have with God or of our hope in the future peace in God, we will find ourselves without any real felt peace of God. But the surprising reality of Christmas is that this peace, it is a person. Ephesians 2.14 says, He himself is our peace. Do you long for real peace? It's a person. It is Jesus. It is the Prince of Peace. Do you long for real peace? You can have it, not by seeking the peace itself, but by seeking the one who is peace. Seeking the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who brings peace. Communion is an abandoning of all self-peace projects. It's an abandoning of I'm going to make peace for myself. It's a confession of my efforts have been rebellion. My efforts have been idolatry. And I'm turning from those to Christ, the one who alone is our hope of peace. His broken body and his shed blood. And may Christ himself be our peace this morning. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this. Give us hearts brought to life in this reality. God, may the peace that we long for be found because it is a peace that is grounded upon the peace that we have with you through your Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the peace that of our promised future that we know the day is coming when your son will return. It will make every sad thing untrue. We'll, we'll right every wrong. And we will live in the fullness of your joy and of your peace forever. God, may those two realities ground every Christian heart in this place this morning. That we might walk out in a true sense of felt peace. Because of the objective reality of who you are and what you have done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.